happy... Uh, is this week two of Spooktober? Three? Yes, two. Three? We're in two. Are you sure? No? Well, two? the first... Wait. Well, that doesn't count as a full week. Yeah, I wouldn't say that counted... I wouldn't say October 1st counted as the first week. So That's true. Okay. Like, Thursday to Thursday is a week, so we're in week two. All right. Well... It's a fun one. Now that we've figured that out. <laughs> we're, we're moving <laughs> right along. And, and that has been Learning the Calendar with Caitlin and Haley. Oh, fun times, <laughs> fun times. Um, Just like a weekly update. How you doing? Um, you know, nothing really has changed. Um, my, my current my my yeah i was like <laughs> every single thing i was like nope said that last week nope that hasn't changed oh my current mental state nope still the same still the same um yeah still there everything's yeah. still here i've lost a couple pounds does that count uh is that good news or bad news i mean i'd say it's good news i i gained some some you gained the COVID-19? No. It, well, I, I mean, we can call it that, but it happened way before the COVID-19. It was because I was on a, a pill that I had, a medication that I had no business being on. And I kept going, hey, could it be this medication that's causing all of this weird weight gain that I've never experienced in my entire life? And everybody went, no. And guess what it was? Mm. So now I'm, now I'm trying something new. Fun That's twenty twenty. The year being, of trying something new. Being adults, man. It's just a, a cavalcade of fun. Yeah. Real hoot. Remind me of that when I have to pay my car insurance next month because I pay it every six months instead of every month because I'm a cheap hoe and don't like the idea that I pay extra interest if I do it monthly. But that also means I have to pay six hundred eighty dollars in November. So Oof. remind me of how fun adulthood is next month. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, everything's pretty much the same. So we're just talking about spooky shit. And, oh, we didn't discuss this before we started recording. but Oh, so we're doing this now? <laughs> we've, discussed, <laughs> we've discussed it previous uh, about Halloween. Yes. So yes. what are y'all doing for Halloween? Is it nothing? Because that's what we're doing. I mean, that's that's really what I'm doing. Because if you think for one minute that those little fucking COVID carriers are coming to my door no. and taking my candy, that I a bag of for? which I have already been through. Yeah. Yeah. So COVID-19, uh, more if likely. You're if you're doing nothing for Halloween, we uh, want to give you something to do. So this is very in the beginning planning stages, but we wanted to give people like the heads up. Like so in the beginning, we thought of this two days ago. Yeah. One day ago. <laughs> um, we are going to be live streaming, um, watching a scary movie Ooh. for Halloween. Um, obviously, like it's a public domain movie. So like mm -hmm. we're not going to get sued for it. Um, yep, which means I can't watch Scooby-Doo, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, we'll get back to you on all of the specifics. Definitely watch our social medias. Like, we'll be posting mm -hmm. about it prior to Halloween. But um, And if you don't see it, email us. 
yeah email us message us on any of the platforms we will let you know as soon as we get more information as we're trying to like work out the logistics but yeah both of us watching a movie we're gonna live stream it you can interact with us uh you can watch with us and um it's gonna be a fun time yeah i'm excited yeah so caitlin keeps sending me hearts on skype (laughs) (laughs) um i gotta take you away from elliot somehow yes uh (laughs) so besides all that uh as you can see from the title this week we're talking about (gasps) the shining yeah looking forward to this one definitely looking forward to this one i'm gonna put money on the fact that you've never seen the shining you don't need to put money on it it's a sure fucking thing but here's the thing though like i i don't know where your your fear level lies because my baseline is is, no but it's all right if it's got a jump scare i'm not into it which is why zombie land scared me this is the end scared me um fucking halloween town did a number on me up until a few years ago Hmm. um Still can't watch Don't Look Under the Bed. Fuck that movie. Oh, I wish we could watch that on live stream because I just watched it recently. Still spooky. Still holds up. Yeah, I bet. Still spooky. And it's, it's, it's very, whoop, I hit my mic. It's very well done. I will say that in the fact that it scared the shit out of me at both five and 25, but and also, Michael has never seen it. And so I'm like, all right, I may have to, like, take one for the team. Just It's so a he good early it. decom. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. It's right up there with, like, under wraps and don't, Phantom don't, of the Megaplex. Don't spoil it, because we're definitely going to have to talk about decoms at some point. <sighs> yes. Oh, I'm mad. We should have done that this this year. We'll do it. Eh. We'll yeah, do we'll do it. it. We'll, plan we'll it. figure it out. We'll figure anyway, it out. Um, so, yeah. So you've never seen The Shining. You've never, never read The, the Shining. Shining. Never read The Shining because, believe it or not, I find books to be scarier than movies. Well, yeah, because you can create everything in your head. Yeah, and that's worse because have you seen my fucking head? Have you heard about, like, the shit that goes on in there? Because it's not good. Well, a Stephen King book, like, I read it and uh, it's very long. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot that could have been skimmed off. So Yeah, I I can think of one thing that I've just heard about in passing that could have been definitely skimmed off the child orgy scene yeah you know he was on a lot of cocaine then so i know i mean and that's i did an episode on it a while back so yeah take a ahead and listen to that but yeah this is about the shining kind of book versus movie versus miniseries which we'll get to um the yeah there was a miniseries there was also spoiler alert an opera um, oh or, shit we're gonna get into it and um, i know that the sequel came out just now what was that doctor doctor sleep doctor sleep that's it because i always confuse it with doctor no don't ask me why yeah because that was also done by who does it mike flanagan who does yes. the the haunting of hill house and bly manor yep and we'll get to him because he um is um he did another Stephen King adaptation, Gerald's Game, which I did yes, another did. episode about. Yes, um, he did. Yeah. And that's why Carla Gugino is in those those series. Exactly. And for those who were following along, I made it five episodes through Haunting of Hill House before I had to take a break that'll probably last for a couple of years. So 
We'll we'll still do a bitch. We'll watch it together. We'll do a watch. No, party. we won't. No, we won't. <clears throat> you want to know what got me through was just scrolling through Reddit the entire time, so I could very like easily put my phone up in such a way that I couldn't see what was going on the screen. Oh no, can't see. Don't know what's happening. <sighs> Wimp ass bitch. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm not about to deny that, which is why this is gonna probably scare the shit out of me just hearing about it. Well, we're getting into it. So, The Shining, obviously, by Stephen King, written in 1977. It's got a 4.23 out of 5 on Goodreads with over a million ratings. Shit. Yeah. Did quite well. Wow. Um, so, the synopsis, if you don't know anything about The Shining, is uh, Jack Torrance's new job at the Overlook Hotel is the perfect chance for a fresh start. As the off-season caretaker at the atmospheric old hotel, he'll have plenty of time to spend reconnecting with his family and working on his writing. But as the Mm -mm. harsh winter weather sets in, the idyllic location feels even more remote and more sinister. And the only one to notice the strange and terrible forces gathering around the Overlook is Danny Torrance, a uniquely gifted five-year-old. Why do they always have to put it on the kid? There's always a kid. There's always some paranormal type deal that's going on. Yeah. This one is not in Maine, um, which is that's, where a lot of Stephen King books take place later on. Where is the Stanley Hotel again? Because that's the, the, or the one that it's based on. Colorado. We'll get to it. Colorado. That was it. I knew been it was there. snowy, but it wasn't like Maine snowy. Ooh. Yes. Did you I was, stay there? No. No. Okay. Uh, I've okay. been there um, way before I knew that it had any connection to Stephen King. I think my Anyways. parents mentioned it while we were there, and I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm 10. Yeah, over your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movie, The Shining, is obviously directed by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, it's from 1980. It's got an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 93% audience score, and 88% on uh, Google and in 8.4 out of 10 on imdb so like pretty similar across the board yeah and not not the usual trend that we see that it's the highest on google which i was yes. surprised by yes but um an audience score of 93 percent. yeah that checks out not bad and the critics consensus says quote though it deviates from stephen king's novel stanley kubrick's the shining is a chilling often baroque journey into madness exemplified by an unforgettable turn from jack nicholson end quote yeah and i will say he's wonderful He's fantastic. So obviously Jack Nicholson is in The Shining. He's he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I think mm-hmm. helped him kind of like get into that headspace. Yeah, yeah. Get, like he was already in that headspace in like another movie. Um, mm-hmm. He was in A Few Good Men. He was in The Departed, and he actually had a small part in the original 1960 version of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh no shit! Yeah. Um, and obviously um, Shelley Duvall is also in it. Yes, she was in Annie love. Hall. She's fantastic. She she was fucking olive oil in the Robin Williams Popeye movie. I'm sorry, she I, was, I didn't pull that one out of the old. Oh, I can pull <laughs> them IMDb. all out. She was goddamn Mother Goose for a while. You, you're like, you're going the deep cuts. I'm just going. Oh, the hits. I am going the deep cuts. She played Oh My Darling Clementine in a little short about the origin of that movie. Spoiler alert: Clementine dies. That's why they made up a song about her because that's oh, typically no. how women got songs written about them back then. Yeah, they did something horrible or they died. Yep, or they were real good at fucking. Oh God. I mean, it's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're. you're Do right. you think Jolene was written about because she was real cute? Hmm. No. How do you think Dolly knew about Jolene? Let's be honest. WAP. Yep. 
That's, that's it. How. That's it. Her wop. Anyway, <laughs> steering this train right back. Um, oh. The movie was released in the U.S. on May 23rd, 1980, which I thought was a little weird. You'd think like a spooky movie like this would want to have like a fall release? No, I, I remember reading something about this because I believe Hocus Pocus was also released in the summer. That's um, fucking dumb. It's a Halloween no, movie. Because then it's, it, no, because at the time, so movies would get like a second wind with a VHS yeah, or later a DVD sense. release. Yeah. So they tried to time it by like having it come out for Halloween. So like, oh, give this to your kid or maybe not The Shining to your kid, but no. as like a gift for Halloween or okay. like for something to do for a date for Halloween and yeah. like shit like that. And so they always tried to time it. That's why you'll see a lot of movies premiered in theaters in the summer so that they could be transferred in time for a fall digital or VHS or whatever release. That makes sense, I guess. I just saw it like it was May 23rd. I was like, a little weird. Yep. Uh, not something I would really think of to watch for the spring. Yep. Um, With all the, you know, snow. Yes. That uh, we've finally just gotten rid of at that point. Yeah. So there were actually several versions for theatrical release, each of which was cut shorter than the one preceding it. So huh. all in all, about 27 minutes were cut from the initial theater release to the last one. Okay. What's playing on your phone? <laughs> I don't know. I turned on my phone to like go see what time it was. And it's, let's see, what is playing? Vungle Cloud UX Template. If anybody knows what that is, please let me know. Fun. But I'm not, I don't need to know what time it is. It's fine. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I want to see, like, the full version without that 27 minutes cut. Like. I'm sure it's on some DVD release. It has to be, but at this point, it probably yeah. is. Because, like, there's so much money to be made in, like, more shining, like, memorabilia and, like, extra theatrical cuts and commentary yes. cuts and, like, all that yes. stuff. So, it actually is such an important film that in 2018, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Conver Congress. Converse. Converse. What? <laughs> Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, unquote. I can believe that. I mean, clearly, if it's got so many, not even just like the high caliber of reviews, but so many of them. Yeah. I mean, clearly it makes a difference and it's it's renowned. Even if you haven't seen it, you know the general like idea of it. You've yeah. heard the story. You've heard it. You've heard of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen a still of it. We're gonna get to it. Yeah. So basically, like I like going back and looking at like the main differences and similarities between uh the book and the movie especially with stephen king stuff because it's mm. funny like the things that they drop or it's funny that the things that they like shift around a little bit because he he was so dense in everything that he was writing that it's like yeah. dude we gotta shave this down for a movie ah. uh that's why lots of his were adapted into like miniseries because like right. he wanted everything we're gonna get to it in a little bit but like he wanted everything exactly as he wrote it so mm -hmm. like <laughs> he's like this doesn't fit in a movie we need to make it like four or five parts yeah like oh i can't cut something out so let's just 
extend it. Yeah. So basically, if you've never seen the movie, you're probably going to know these bits. But these mm-hmm. main differences, these iconic moments in the movie, actually do not appear in the novel. Huh. So number one being the Grady twins, which is the two little girls in the blue dresses oh, saying, wow. come play with come us. Come play with us. Yeah. They're not. Not, not weird at all. They're yeah, they're not portrayed in the book as like the two twins. Huh. Um, the scene with the the elevator with all the blood pouring out yeah, of it. Yeah, the period everyone, scene. Yes, <laughs> that everyone sends to each other when they say they got their period. Yep. Um, sorry, boys. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, there's also uh, when Jack is typing, like he's writing the novel and then Shelley Duvall comes over and she sees that all he's written is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Nope. Don't know that one. Oh, well, that's, 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 that's more fine. niche. And also the iconic scene, the here's Johnny. Okay. He, that he I He shoves know. his face in the, in the thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, when he usurped that line from fucking Johnny Carson, people don't think of Johnny Carson when you say that line. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. All right. All right. You get to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's like the VHS cover maybe, and I think it was maybe Probably. shifted into the um uh the book cover, like a re-release of the oh. novel. I think that is like part of it. So like it's probably the most iconic scene in like yeah. the whole movie or the one yeah, that like no, is most visually noted. Um yeah. But here's some other main differences. So in the film Jack Nicholson's character is called Jack Torrance. But I found in a list that in the book, he's called John Daniel Torrance. So I read the book a while ago. I don't remember him being named John. Why? I don't know if they, I don't know why they would do this, but did yeah. they re-release the book and like put his name as Jack? Cause I honestly, maybe I, if anyone, if anyone knows, I honestly do not remember him being called John in the book. Maybe this is a Mandela effect. It might be. Or Mandela effect? Because I... I don't know. I've heard it said both ways. <laughs> I think it's Mandela. I think it's Mandela, but I've heard it both ways. Is um, that itself a Mandela effect? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Here we go. Um, yeah. So that was one of the th- first things I saw when I was like researching the similarities and differences. And I'm like, I don't remember that one. Yeah, that's but if weird. anybody knows, let me know. Does Does Stephen King? Did you see in any of your research if he refers to him as Jack or John? Some things refer to him as John, but when you look up like the synopsis on uh, like Wikipedia, and you look yeah. at, like there's like uh, you can read the first like sixty pages or something on mm-hmm. um, on Google, Google Preview yeah. or like whatever. It says Jack. Um, I'm so confused. Um, I don't a, know. That's a man- <clears throat> Mandela dollar effect for sure. Like, yeah. I don't know. I I can't help you with that one. That one. I am going to. Re- if you're listening, yeah, I'm going to refer to him as Jack throughout. Yeah. Just D- that. That's that's who I'm talking about. Yeah. So, that's that's his name. That's his fucking name. Yeah. So in the book, Jack is a playwright who abandons his original play and begins to write a story based on the history of the Overlook Hotel that he's staying at. Um, And like, that's basically like what he's writing about. So in Stanley Kubrick's movie, uh, Jack is intending to write like whatever he's intending to write is never actually like 
defined like it's never uh, said that he's like a playwright um the next and, great american novel yeah and like it happens that it's like all work and no play makes jack a dull boy so like it it that writing shows that he's started to lose his fucking mind oh hell yeah yeah that's um, not normal like yeah no it's terrifying especially yeah. for like pages and pages and pages yeah uh, hell no. terrifying scene in the movie um so the season runs from may 15th to september 30th in the novel uh but kubrick made it run from october 30th so the first day that the mm. torrances were at the hotel was halloween so yes. he like shifted whatever their quote-unquote season was that they had to take care of it yeah um another difference was in the novel the overlook is surrounded by a garden of animal topiaries that subtly shift positions while the characters Fuck backs no. are turned and they eventually spring to life and attack and what? that that's like a very stephen king type of uh gag to pull um but oh, yeah it's fucking hysterical what a gag <laughs> yeah it's very stephen king but i think kubrick thought it was like a little too goofy so he made the um the hedges like the the big ass hedge maze and that's obviously spookier like if you've read or seen harry potter um the the part where they go into the the hedge maze i don't know if jk rowling was like channeling that while she was like writing that section but it's very much the same vibe hmm. she took a minute to stop thinking about whether or not trans people were okay yeah <sighs> That's a whole other fight. Uh, it's <laughs> anyway. so great how Harry Potter was just written. No, no real author. You got to separate the art from the day. artist. Separate the art from the artist. No, it has it has no author. It just came to be one day. It's it like did. those legends that are passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. Um, I would say I'm gonna get to it a um a, a little bit more later. But one of the, I think dumbest changes from the book to the movie is wendy's character so wendy's character is completely different looking in the novel um and her personality is a lot different in the book she's described as blonde and having like movie star quality beauty and shelly duvall has black hair and a very unique look like not the typical like hollywood starlet scream queen look yeah yeah like Um, she's like a like a jamie lee curtis or mm -hmm. like you know what i mean very unique you're not really gonna like mistake her for somebody else right it's not like when they post like they they made that like big post of like all these like white guy actors that you couldn't (laughs) tell the difference of like she's she's very unique looking yes but more importantly than that wendy in the novel she's just much stronger and much more independent and has like more of a personality yeah. and is more of a character and she stands up to jack in much firmer and stronger ways and wendy in the movie is just very meek and under Screaming the influence and crying yeah she's under jack's time. influence and is just like it fades so far into the background mm-hmm. which is like a very very much a disservice to her as an actress and also to the character yeah but like i said i'll get to that in a second um another one is like basically like i said the most iconic image from the shining is when uh jack smashes his way through the door with the fire axe and like shoves his face in here's johnny 
Um, mm-hmm. In the novel, he uses a roquet mallet, which apparently roquet is like an Americanized, Americanized version of croquet. Um, and the mallets huh. are shorter with like a bigger head on it. Huh. Very specific. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. My, I grew up, my parents had a, I thought it was a croquet set. Now I wonder what it was. Croquet is the one from Heather's. Roquet yes. is, I, I don't know where I could tell where it's from. The Shining. Um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Only the book, though, because in the movie, he uses a fire axe. And yes. obviously, like, I think that's a good change. Much scarier. Much scarier. And more people know what it is. Yeah, and much more cinematic, much, mm-hmm. like, it fits the horror genre more. Like, I'm yes. not really going to be afraid of a mallet too much mallets are creepy but like axes do damage yeah you can't lose a limb from a mallet yeah um also uh it's never explicitly stated in the film uh but kubrick seems to suggest that the hotel is haunted regardless of who happens to be inside it at the time but Hmm. in the novel the overlook and all of the ghosts that list it that are living in it are boosted by danny's shine that's why it's called the shining because danny has like this ability oh. called the shine yes i the, really had no idea I, the like, reason for the title yeah and i was like oh okay this is what it's called doesn't bother me because it's not, not really, gonna read it it's not talked about too much no. in the movie it's not like the the big definition of it but like um so basically like the longer the torrances stay in the hotel the stronger the spirits get because danny's there and that's how they're able to take physical shape and start harming everyone and basically the overlook is trying to possess danny and wield his power and they fail so then they go to jack because he's much more um susceptible to being overtaken and possessed at that point because i mean he's battling his alcoholism like Mm -hmm. he he's like a vessel for them to take over so um like i just said jack's alcoholism is just a much bigger deal in stephen king's novel and is basically the entire focus of jack's character um and the hotel ghosts steadily chip away at him until he gives in and gets drunk which is ultimately what gives him what makes him give in to the demands and allows himself to be taken over yeah and they weaken him yeah and the alcoholism is mentioned in the movie, but it's pretty understated. And as I will get to uh, with the feud between Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick, um, the alcoholism is a very important part of this story. And it's a very mm-hmm. personal part of this story to Stephen King. Hmm. Um, but another another difference is that in the movie, Jack is... Um, from the get-go he seems like he's on the precipice of losing his mind from like the minute we see him in the very beginning of the movie um so like when he finally gets around to like murdering his family it feels like that maybe was probably gonna happen anyway Mm, um but in the book it's more clear that jack is possessed by the hotel rather than suffering from any type of like cabin fever Um, He becomes obsessed with the history of the hotel and, like I had mentioned earlier, intends to write a book about it (laughs) and instead just ends up drawing him further and further in and alienating him from his family while the spirits kind of take him over. So, like, 
the way that the movie kind of made the events lead to is just like i think i think they downplayed a lot of like this the uh haunting in it okay which is an element in stephen king's books a lot like there's always like it's always like a pretty real story and then it starts to get like paranormal and i don't know if kubrick in for the movie was trying to make it like seem more real Mm -hmm. that he was trying to make it seem like this is something that could actually happen like you can get like cabin fever is a real thing you can get cabin fever and like freak out and like kill your family we fucking know that you can get cabin fever (laughs) yeah um and i think the last difference that i'm going to talk about there's definitely more and there's lists online of all of the the differences but one of the big ones is jack's death spoiler alert Mm -hmm. um (laughs) in the film jack chases danny outside into the hedge maze and danny doubles back and loses him and jack gets lost and he collapses from exhaustion uh at some random corner of the maze and he freezes to death but in the novel uh while caught in the grip of his ghost rampage jack totally forgets to dump the hotel's boiler which is a thing that he's had to constantly do throughout the, the story and he abandons his pursuit of Danny to rush down into the basement to try to relieve the pressure, but it's too late, and the boiler explodes in his face, and the overlook burns to the ground. Wait, so. with with Danny and no, Danny. He was chasing Danny outside, but then he was like, "Oh shit, I was supposed to do this, and like oh, this is okay. going to be bad." So they're not all right. Because then I was I don't like, know if, so I don't think Wendy's in sequel? there. Yeah, I don't think Wendy's in there at that point uh i honestly like i said read it so long ago and all of stephen king's books start to like meld in my brain because they're (laughs) oh because then after the building explodes a dog traps them in their ford pinto yeah they they all start yeah (laughs) they all leave danny and his friends go traipsing through the woods (laughs) exactly (laughs) find find a body body. yeah (laughs) um so yeah i mean that's a huge difference obviously i think that is for money saving purposes because if you wanted to have a big explosion and a huge building burned down that's a lot of money so yeah um i'm gonna guess that was part of the decision for that (laughs) Um, i mean it would make sense yeah so stephen king versus stanley kubrick um this is an interesting one. There's a lot of articles on this as well, if you want to uh, do your own little research into this. But okay. the main reason why Stephen King doesn't like Stanley Kubrick's interpretation uh. of his novel is because Sting, Sting, King believes that it goes against what he was trying to set out to do with the book, and he took it really personally. The Shining, okay. like I alluded to before, is one of King's most personal stories because it explores a struggling writer slash ex-teacher whose history of alcoholism has resulted in him being jobless and on the verge of divorce with his long-suffering wife. Uh, he also has a fractured relationship with his son, Danny, who's telepathic and sees supernatural visions. I'm going to say that that one is not as close to his reality and that mm. was more created for the book. Um, yeah. But while Jack Torrance is a troubled character, he is also someone who values his family and wants to do the right thing, even if his addiction prevents him from being from being able to like love his family properly. Right. And 
the hotel is what unleashes the demented side of Jack's character and driving him to the edge of insanity, seeking to kill people mm-hmm. in a blind rage. Right. So basically this mirrors King's relationship with his own alcoholism and his own fears of hurting his family while oh. deeply intoxicated. So this is yeah. a very introspective character and a uh, book for him. And he actually claimed that writing the book allowed him to quote, attempt to get it out of my system, but it was also a confession end quote. So mm, he's really saying okay. like, I was going through it just like this character yeah. was. And through Jack's struggles with demons, both personal and those in the overlook hotel, King was able to channel his feelings about his life and mental state. But what happens to Jack by the end of both versions of The Shining is one of the biggest ways that they differ significantly from one another, like I'd mentioned. So in the book, Jack returns to his loving self and warns his family to run away before he murders them both. So he's being possessed. He's in this blind rage. And at one point, he's able to like snap out of it a little bit to say like, you have to get out of here. And it's it's that one turn that I think is very, very uh, significant and personal. Yeah, it's humanizing. Yeah. And in the movie, he just freezes to death. Right. So you can see how Jack is not redeemed in the movie. He's just like the villain. Capital T, capital V, the <laughs> villain. Um. But in addition to Jack Nicholson going too crazy too soon, Stephen King also has been negative towards, like I said, Shelley Duvall's take on Wendy, saying that he doesn't care for how the movie makes her uh, seem weak compared to how she is in the book. Mm. King's depiction of Wendy was that of a tough woman who loves her family, wants to help her husband overcome his alcoholism, and ends up fighting for her family's well-being. She has a much larger role in the novel, including more dialogue and an essential place in the story. Other people have backed up King's claims, believing that Kubrick's version of Wendy echoes the misogynistic depictions of women in many other horror movies and books, uh, which is obviously we can do a whole episode on it of like how women are portrayed in horror movies, which we probably should. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Spoiler alert. Not great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Duvall um, could also support King's claims of misogyny mm-hmm. as her onset experience was almost mimicked at, at with her character's treatment. Right. Yeah. Kubrick uh, reportedly screamed at Duvall at one point uh, that she cried for several hours a day, sometimes through hundreds of takes. And yeah. this really affected her and it resulted in lots of mental and actual physical pain. Like she was abused on set. Yes, one hundred percent. This has happened in like a bunch of other um, film sets also, and like you can like explain it away, saying like, "Oh yeah, but it was nominated for this award." Like the director got the actress to like this point. I was like, it doesn't need to be to that. It doesn't need to be to the point that she needs to go no. to therapy afterwards. Like, no, there are plenty of other compelling uh, performances that did not get to need to get to that point and and maybe it would have been redeeming if she actually had the like the presence that the character does in the novel but she just basically disappeared into the background and was not an essential character and 
After the film's re- release, Duvall noted, quote, after all that work, hardly anyone even criticized my performance in it. Even to mention it, it's, it seemed like. The reviews were all about Kubrick, like I wasn't mm-hmm. there, end quote, mm-hmm. which is fucking horrible. To endure all that abuse and, like, not get any praise for it, <laughs> pretty much. Re- not even praise, any recognition for any it. Any recognition. Like they, yeah. yeah. They, they, they are hailing Kubrick as, like, this visionary when she's the one that did the work. Yeah. And she's the one that went through it. Yeah. And she's the one who, I don't know whether or not you're going to suffer, you're going to talk about this. She's the one who suffered lasting effects from it. It wasn't just on the set. Yeah. Like she, she, so she retired from acting maybe like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was because she was slowly starting to like, like basically after she filmed this movie she just her mental state continued to devolve little by little and chip away and about five-ish years ago she was actually on an episode of dr phil and doesn't look at all like how people would remember her Mm -hmm. and she's just completely gone mentally like she was talking about like robin williams isn't dead he's shape-shifting um, all these literary characters like attack me and oh, try to Lordy. kill me. Yes, yes, and like, and it, one of the reasons why I remember this was because also people finally saw Doctor Phil for the mun- manipulative piece of shit that he is, and they were like, yeah. "Why would you? Why would you bring her on? Like yeah. when she's so not well." But it's it it didn't just. It, it goes beyond not receiving recognition. It ruined her life. Yeah, that's fucking terrible. Yeah, like, if you ever get a chance to look up the interview, it's really sad. Yeah, that's really Like, depressing. she she doesn't look like she does anymore, like she did. Like, you wouldn't, if she passed you on the street, you wouldn't recognize her. Yeah. And like I said before, she's, like, a very recognizable face, so, like. Yes. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's super sad. Yeah. Um, but... Basically, like, Stephen King was pissed because, in his view, like, she wasn't this, she didn't have, like, this independence and the depth that he wanted from this character. And um, more specifically, he said in in an interview that Shelley Duvall's Wendy is, quote, one of the most misogynistic characters ever put on film. She's basically Mm. just there to scream and be stupid, and that's not the woman I wrote about, end quote. Gotta give him credit for that you know yeah and he just says that it's just a bad character and she's a poor representation which is not like it's not the actress's fault it's like the way it was written and like stephen king is like fully a feminist because uh there was like articles written that it's like stephen king and his wife uh donated blah 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 to like some charity i think it was and he like tweeted back or whatever that's like author like author stephen king and author activist tabitha king like yeah and like gave her like credits like she's her own person and like this was her decision to do this so like oh yeah don't don't just stick wife on the end of my name like i hate that yeah like i hate that so much yeah but um (laughs) the complaints don't stop there because in Stephen King's view, the movie lacks the warmth and humanity that he brought to his book. The movie version was, by comparison, more cynical and bleak and just like, I mean, 
it took place in like the dead of winter. It was just very dark and cold, the whole movie. And it rubbed King the wrong way. Um, it didn't have the compassion that he wanted for the characters, uh, practically in how personal it was, and that it was definitely evident by the end. Even though it's the one aspect that's praised, it's something that's left a, ra- a rather sour taste in King's mouth over time. Like mm-hmm. being like being so bleak and being so like shut off is like something that like is studied in film classes <laughs> about Stephen about um. Uh, Kubrick's movie but uh, Stephen King wasn't trying to like make that in the book right it it had it had more character than that um and Stanley Kubrick's detachment from the material presented a very stark and haunting experience one that was built on its atmosphere and quiet terror but that wasn't what Stephen King necessarily wanted it resulted in a morbid experience that rang hollow and false for the author and it made him Pretty pissed. Understandably. Um, New Statesman writer Mark Hodge made the claim that Stephen King may have felt upset by the fact that Stanley Kubrick's The Shining went to become a quintessential piece of pop culture while King's book didn't have the same impact. So I think that's an interesting note that like, you know, The Shining, the movie more than, you know, The Shining, the book. Yes, but I would go so far, I, I would agree with that. However, I still associate The Shining, the movie, with Stephen King. Like, not that yeah. Stanley Kubrick isn't a well-known director, whether or not he was a good person doesn't yeah. quite apply. But I, I'm, and I may be in the minority here, when I hear The Shining, when I see The Shining, yes, I think of the movie... But I also go, oh, Stephen Stephen King's The Shining, not Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, there's no solid evidence to support that this is, like, actually how he feels. I think Stephen King's pretty fucking over it. I don't think this bothers him. He's had enough fame that, like, I don't think this little thing is, like, really changing. (laughs) It's not taking dollars out of his pocket. Like, I think he's going to be fine. And he's um, preoccupied with other things like right now, like those people who keep fucking stealing the crows off his fence. Yes. Or his thing of evil. Oh, yes, the dog. Ooh. Molly, the thing of evil. I love her. Oh, I love her. Um, that's that's really why we follow Stephen King on our crime culture account. <laughs> yes, because I want to see that dog. Yes, can I pet that dog? Um, but it is something to be said that, like, some of the more parodied, which we'll get to, um, points of the movie are not points that are in the uh the novel um Mm -hmm. i mean there's been so many parodies which i'm gonna get to from the simpsons to south park there was even an ikea commercial that parodied the shining yeah it's a little kid like riding a trike through a um oh uh, uh like an empty ikea and like you know how ikea has like the little rooms set up like the little sample rooms like each thing that he rides by is like a different reference to um the shining and like i think it was to it was in like i looked it up i think it was in like 2014 or something and it was to promote that like ikea is open late do your late night shopping and like fuck no not with that it ends up being a cute commercial if you like look it up it's like look up like shining ikea commercial um it's a pretty cute idea but it, it's so 
But it's like it's so iconic that you know immediately what it's from, even if yes. you've never seen it. Yes. Though I, when you said that, I really did think that you were going to go with the whole maze of death thing, not child riding his tricycle. Nope, it's the tricycle. Because one. let's be honest, we've all been caught in an IKEA once or twice. That's true. <laughs> Make the IKEA the like the maze that you like. That's really what in. I. That's where I thought you were going. Like we it's were there just a few commercial. weeks ago. Yeah, we were there a few weeks ago, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I didn't care. At one point, I was like, "Fuck this shit! I can't get out of here." Yeah. <laughs> um. What's pretty interesting is that Stephen King holds the honor of being the living writer with work that has inspired the most movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, however, most people would argue that The Shining has retained a broader cult status in pop culture than um, other film adaptations from Stephen King's universe, including cult favorites The Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me. Um, right. L- like I said, I'm getting to the references to the creepy twins, the waves of blood gushing from the elevator, and the Here's Johnny line. We're just... it. It's never going away. It's going to pop up in, in pop culture forever and ever and ever and ever mm-hmm. but what's one thing i did find pretty funny is that stephen king reportedly still harbored bitter feelings about stanley kubrick's version of the shining in 2018 so very recently the movie came out in 1980 that's the thing too like the fact yeah. that it has maintained this status in exactly pop culture but stanley kubrick passed away in 1999 mm-hmm. so stephen king was making fun of him from making fun of a dead man i mean um, yeah he put in his novel the outsider there's one scene that features a character watching paths of glory which is a stanley kubrick film from 1957 oh i um, can't wait for this and stephen king actually counts it as one of his favorites however um it's not really a throwaway reference um he included it to explain uh why the character was watching the particular film and a line in the book actually um says that the movie is quote better than the shining end quote oh man yeah that's so a he did a little a, bit of like a, a self burn i i don't know about that i'm that seems more like a like a kubrick burn yeah to me but the man Especially, is dead yeah i mean <laughs> he can't hurt you anymore steven exactly but at the same time i mean it's fun this way yeah um, but now we're getting into the pop culture references because it's now so we're getting much fun. into the pop culture references yes, <laughs> in, in other things. So images and scenes frequently referenced are, like I said, the Grady twins, like the two girls in the hallway, uh, the word red rum, which I didn't even talk about before. Um, the blood spilling out of the elevator doors, Jack sticking his head through the hole, uh, the bathroom door and saying, here's Johnny. Those are referenced in so many things literally i could not even begin like the podcast would never end if i said absolutely every reference but uh there's a couple that are are fun in the tv series psych there's an episode titled here's lassie um (laughs) and uh the plot and the characters are based on like the movie pretty much so it like mirrors that um there's a simpsons episode called treehouse of horror five i think and it includes a parody titled The Shinning, S-H-I-N-N-I-N-G. Um, ah. 
Similarities include Sherry and Terry, the twins in Bart's fourth grade class, looking visually similar to the Grady twins. Homer writing no TV and no beer makes Homer go crazy. (laughs) And Homer breaking into a room with an axe and uttering, here's Johnny, only to discover that he has entered the wrong room, using the introduction for 60 minutes instead. Uh, the season 30 episode girls in the band has Homer driven mad from working a double shift at the nuclear power plant, experiencing a gold room party scene with Lloyd, um, followed by an ax wielding human resources director who resembles Nicholson's character. So the Simpsons have referenced the shining multiple times. <laughs> of That's, course. I, what are they? 40 I, seasons deep? They oh, got to probably that uh, that's they're I believe they're the longest running cartoon on television, right? I think they're the longest running uh single story show on television. Oh shit. I mean none of that would surprise me. Yeah. Fucking Dan Castaneda and all them. That's Yeah, that sounds about a literal right. gold mine. Hmm? Um there is <laughs> Okay, so I watched a little bit of this. It's weird. It's a thing called the chickening. And I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's it's the chickening. And it was advertised to me as a remix or augmented reimagining of the story and characters in an over-the-top sort of commercial for a fictional chicken joint. Okay. You can find it on YouTube. Okay. I implore you to check it out. It's very interesting. It was created by Nick Denbauer and Davey Force in 2016. So, like, not that long ago. It's definitely something you got to watch. Oh, boy. I'll watch that after I watch the Ikea commercial, I guess. Definitely. Uh, we'll make it, like, a, a YouTube playlist of all the things. Oh, yeah. Okay. That might be actually something I actually do. Let's just mark this time down so I remember um, I need to go and make a YouTube playlist of all uh, Shining references. Sure. Um, there's a couple of, like, mu- um, music um, uh, references. So American heavy metal band Slipknot pays homage to the film in their first music video for their song Spit It Out. The video consists of conceptual imagery of the band members, each portraying characters enacting iconic scenes from the film. The video was banned from MTV for overtly graphic and violent depictions, including Corey Taylor smashing through a door with an axe and the uh, scene where James Root viciously assaults Corey Taylor with a baseball bat. Oh, shit. I mean, yeah, Yeah. I feel like that's fair. The second one, at least. That's all right. Uh... The music video director and band eventually re-edited a less violent version, uh, and that was put on MTV. So okay. MTV so cooled everybody the gets what they want. Yeah. Um, there's a song called Enjoy Your Slay by American metalcore band Ice Nine Kills, and it's yeah. inspired primarily by the novel as well as the film. The song also features Stanley Kubrick's son, Sam Kubrick, as a guest vocalist. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. It's a fun little one. Yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg, who is actually a close friend of Stanley Kubrick, included a sequence dedicated to the film in Ready Player One when they could not get the rights to use Blade Runner for a similar sequence. So they just settled for The Shining. Why not? I guess. 
Uh, one that I liked because it's about something that I have watched is uh, Vince Gilligan has included references to Kubrick movies in many of his works. Um, he said, quote, I'm happy to see that his inspiration has shown in noticeable ways in our work in uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Breaking Bad's episode Sunset has a cop radioing for assistance and begins KDK-12, which is the radio address at the Overlook before uh, being axed. The axe-murdered Grady twins in The Shining are turned into the axe-murdering Salamanca twins in Breaking Bad. Um, the descent of the main character, Walter White, into mm. a dark killer has some similarities to Jack's arc uh, throughout, and reflections are used in both to show the character change. Better Call Saul has a here's Johnny scare in a flashback. And Gilligan has also likened his early writing situation, getting snowed in and not writing to feeling like Jack going insane. Mm. Um, there's been a ton of references to just the Grady twins in a lot of works like uh, Tim Burton, who actually credits Kubrick as one of his many influences modeled the characters of Tweedledum and Tweedledee in his version of Alice in Wonderland on the Grady twins. I feel like anytime ah. you have twins in a movie, there's going to be a reference to The Shining. Makes sense. Checks out. Um, in his 2019 novel, The Institute, Stephen King references the film writing, quote, the little girls, Gerda, uh, Gerda and Greta, were standing and watching with wide, frightened eyes. They were both holding hands and clutching dolls as identical as they were. They reminded Luke of twins in some old horror movie, end quote. <laughs> so that's him referencing some of his own shit again. I mean, um, if you can, why yeah. not? One thing that's like is a li- maybe a little sketch is the resemblance in the staging of the Grady Girls and this photograph by Diane Arbus um, called Twins. And um, Arbus's biographer, Patricia Bosworth, and... Uh, Kubrick assistant who cast and coached them, Leon Vitali, uh, and numerous other Kubrick critics cite him as basically stealing this staging from this photograph. Although Kubrick both met Arbus personally and studied photography under her during his youthful days as a photographer for Look Magazine, Kubrick's widow says that he did not deliberately model the Grady girls on Arbus's photograph in spite of widespread attention to the resemblance. The photo is hmm. titled Identical Twins, and it depicts two young twin sisters, Kathleen and Colleen Wade, standing side by side in matching corduroy dresses, white tights, white headbands, and dark hair. They both stare into the camera. One slightly smiles and the other slightly frowns. And uh, I'll try to remember to post the, the photo on, um, on the website, but it's Identical Twins by Diane Arbus. And if you look at it, it is... Uh, too similar to ignore, and the fact right. that he studied under this woman is like, dude. Yeah, whether There's, you subconsciously took it or yeah. you consciously did, like, just admit it. Yeah, it's very. But I mean, I feel like that also goes back to his respect or that lack thereof of women, because I mean, look at how he treated. Yeah. Shelley Duvall look at how he's treating this situation with uh, with a woman who 
arguably is it was a mentor him. to him at some point yes yeah whatever but um, she's a woman so yeah another one is the uh here's johnny was parodied by british comedian lenny H- henry in an advertisement for a premiere in uh it's actually banned from being screened on children's tv networks oh shit so <laughs> i guess it's spooky i never saw it um there's some other cool pop culture references and in april 2020 so very recently there was a spin-off titled overlook and it entered development for hbo max by jj abrams and his production <gasps> company bad robot oh i am down for that and you know jj abrams knows how to treat a woman oh yeah it's Hell gonna yeah. be it sounds like it's gonna be really really fun and i want to see it and i hope COVID hasn't ruined it although it said uh it entered development in april 2020 so like that was like COVID that was, hit. yeah that COVID was, pre- was here yeah that was pretty deep into the pandemic so hopefully it's still going i mean i feel like right now we're pretty deep into the pandemic i feel like things were just getting started in april <laughs> we still thought that it. things were going to be done by memorial day yeah <sighs> every time it gets a sigh Everything. Um, just a simpler Like times. I alluded to earlier, the novel was adapted into an opera of the same name in 2016, so not that long ago. It was also huh. adapted into a stage play directed by Ivo Van Hove and directed by Simon Stevens. Um, and another thing I alluded to earlier was the miniseries. So basically, the novel was adapted into a three-episode miniseries in 1997. It was directed by Mick Garris and was written and produced by Stephen King based on his dissatisfaction with Kubrick's version. So he hated it so much. He's like, hold my beer. I'll do it. (laughs) Uh, ABC was quick to offer King the ability to write his script for the adaptation of his book. Thanks to the previous success of King's miniseries, The Stand from 1994, which was also directed by Garris. Yeah. The miniseries was shot in March 1997 at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which was the inspiration for the novel. Hmm. The series won two Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Makeup and Outstanding Sound Editing for a miniseries or special. It was also nominated for Outstanding Miniseries, but lost to Prime Suspect 5 Errors of Judgment in that category. Can't say I've ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the critics' consensus of the miniseries was, quote, Stephen King's televisual adaptation of his own novel is more faithful than its cinematic counterpart, but unfortunately, this miniseries is hobbled by a drab uh, literalism of the text and cheesy effects that diminish the scares, end quote. As a result, it's got a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, no audience score, but a Oof. 72% on Google. So, yeah, that sounds about right doesn't seem like it's going to be picked by the library of converse for preservation anytime soon no it might be picked by the library of converse just not the library of congress yep yep (laughs) i'm losing it today (laughs) that's okay i i don't have any left yeah (laughs) anyway there is a documentary called room 237 from 2013 it's got a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes 55 percent audience score 74 percent google score and a 6.2 out of 10 on imdb the critics consensus is quote mysterious and provocative room 237 is a fascinating journey into the world of obsessive cinephiles end quote um i watched a little bit of it didn't really love it 
wasn't what mm-hmm. I was thinking it was, but the synopsis, if you're interested, is, uh, quote, in Rodney Asher's Room 237, we hear from people who have developed far-reaching theories and believe that they have decoded the hidden symbols and messages buried in the late director's film. Carefully examining The Shining inside and out and forwards and backwards and backwards and forwards, Room 237 is as captivating, provocative as it is a pleasure. It gives voice to the fans and scholars who espouse their theories, reworking the film to match their ideas and intercutting it with layers of dreamlike imagery to illustrate their streams of consciousness. End quote. Um, basically, uh, it's a bunch of people talking about what it's basically a bunch of people talking about, like closed readings of what they think uh, yeah. The Shining is about. And they make some claims. That the movie is an allegory for genocide of the Native Americans, the Holocaust, oh. and a lot more. So, well, I'm usually interested in in types of closed readings like that. There's a fantastic one on YouTube right now of how Jurassic Park uh, relates to gender and feminism. Hmm. So interesting, so good. These were a little out there. <laughs> I think it's more of an allegory to Stephen King's own battle with alcohol and yeah. like, isolation right? Uh, than it is to the Holocaust. I don't think it gets that deep. No. Yeah. I mean, granted, I haven't seen it, but I, I feel like it ain't that deep. Sorry. No offense. But so are you planning on talking about the other documentary i didn't have another documentary in here what so is it's it? not it's not exactly a documentary on wait the before Shining, you so get to, to that before you get to that let me yeah, just baby. talk about the sequel real quick and then oh, we'll yeah, jump okay. into it so Sorry, the sequel my bad. it's all right the sequel is uh dr sleep it was the book was mm-hmm. written in 2013 it's got a 4.12 out of really? 5 on goodreads yeah, it was it was relatively recent. Recent, yeah. I yeah. don't know why I thought it was older. The movie, the movie's more recent. Um, but the oh. synopsis of Doctor Sleep, the book, is quote: struggling with alcoholism, Dan Torrance uh, remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra. I think it's Abra, a sure. teen who shares his extra extrasensory gift of the shine together they form an unlikely unlikely alliance to battle the true knot a cult whose members try to feed off the shine of innocence to become immortal end quote yeah his his books get like they start like that you can get on board with it and you're like yeah this could happen and then it gets very paranormal very quickly <laughs> um so dr sleep uh the movie was from 2019 it has 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, 89% audience score, 88% on Google, and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. So so all, like, pretty good. Yeah. The critics' consensus says, quote, Dr. Sleep forsakes the elemental terror of its predecessor for a more completive sequel that balances the poignant themes against spine-tingling chills. Uh, actors Ewan McGregor from Trainspotting, Big Fish, Star Wars Episodes 1, 2, and 3... Uh, he plays Dan Torrance, and then there's Bruce Greenwood, who we talked about from Gerald's Game, right. and little Jacob Tremblay from Room. Aww. Yeah. Okay, I like him. Yeah. Haven't seen it, haven't read it yet, but um, I'm hoping to get to it. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, so what's the other documentary? 
So I don't remember the name of it because I'm just great at this. But Stanley Kubrick's, I want to say his kids, also did like a documentary on him and like on how he worked and things like that. And one of the things that they actually managed to catch, because in case you guys didn't notice, I'm like a hoe for Shelley Duvall. Um, They did like an interview with Jack Nicholson, first of all, who talked about his experience shooting the film. And yeah. one of the things that he said, he was like, basically, I had a great experience with Stanley Kubrick, but it was like... Because he's a white male. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> but uh, without acknowledging the white male part, he, he basically said that, like, Stanley Kubrick did a complete 180 when it came to Shelley Duvall. Yeah. And treated him like shit. Uh, treated her like shit. But they also caught bits and pieces of it. I'm sorry, I've got a cat who was sleeping very happily in my lap up until a minute ago and mm-hmm. tried very hard to keep her calm for a minute and she punched my mic. She has um, no chill. She has no chill. The reason I was holding her for so long was because she was trying to yell into the mic and I was like, we can't do this right now. I'm not speaking. No, I need um, to get that. I need to hear it. <laughs> you were in the middle of speaking. Um... We can't teach her that she can interrupt. Um, but so in this in this documentary, they actually have found footage or include found footage of just like snippets of how abusive Stanley Kubrick was on set towards Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Like, like yelling at her. Um, I'm trying to think like not demeaning her per se, but like, like you know, like in front of the crew and everything, because one of the things was like the crew were told, don't stand up for her. Don't talk to her. Don't sympathize with her. Like That's fucking garbage. There's other ways to get a performance out of somebody. Oh, than 100%. Like mentally and physically abusing them. 100%. Um, and, and it just, just really awful. But there, but it, there's other snippets too from the making of the movie like behind the scenes if anybody is interested and i actually i will look up that right now to see what the name of it is um because it's relatively it's relatively new um and i want to say his kids did it i I wrote by his lids but i mean (laughs) by his lids by his lids so it is called stanley kubrick a life in picture in pictures excuse me it came out in 2001 relatively recently 86 percent on rotten tomatoes an 8 out of 10 on imdb and an 88 percent google score and no critics consensus an 89 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes and you can watch it on prime okay Ooh. but um the director is jan harlan who was his brother-in-law stanley kubrick's brother-in-law so it wasn't his kids it was his brother-in-law as i've said how many times now but um yeah that's that's supposed to have like bits and pieces and again it's other it's more about him and about other movies in addition to this but it does feature some interesting stuff about the shining very nice and you can go and watch the movie you can read the book uh if you didn't know from your local library sometimes you can get um this app called Overdrive, I believe it is, and you can rent like library books digitally. So support your local library and go rent some books. 
Um, Didn't know that. That's your library is probably going to have a Stephen King book in it at oh, some point. No doubt. Um, you can buy it from your favorite local bookstore. Not True. Amazon. Support your favorite local bookstores. Yes. And let me, before we leave, see where you can watch The Shining, if it's going to come up. You can watch it with a premium subscription on Sling. Okay. And that's all it's telling me right now. <laughs> I mean, it tells you. Uh, apparently you on something. Saturday, uh, December... De- fucking December. Uh, October... I don't know why I put you this Saturday. Saturday, <laughs> October 24th at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be on AMC. Oh, okay. Eastern. So for those 6.30 of us- Eastern. Oh, thank you for that, because... Hi. California. Yeah. Californians. California. But, um, yeah, so... I'm also seeing if you're in California and you're not utterly fucking terrified of going to the movies, they are showing it for Halloween. <gasps> are they really? Yeah, but I'm I not I wish it was going. at our drive-in. Oh, it's also on IFC. Let me see if it's free. Uh, while you know. do that, I'm going to play us out. So going to play us out. <laughs> play us out. Uh, the website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. The uh, social medias are Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a Patreon. I've seen a couple people recently joining the Patreon. It's amazing. As little as a dollar. Yes. It's the best. Um, I will individually shout out each person on Thank our you, patreon during our gonna... stream oh every she... single person no matter what uh, oh, what contribution level me. i'm gonna shout you out hopefully multiple times i'm gonna write myself a note to do it because i am literally the worst, the worst. Um, just know that we love every single person that has ever listened to the podcast or Truly. supports the podcast or even if you reaches don't support out the podcast yeah i just love everybody uh yeah continue to reach out to us on social media we've had a couple people do it and so much fun and if you send us one nice message it literally gives me life for like a week so yes Yes. (laughs) it's fantastic thank you so much and um you're the best and thanks oh (laughs) you meant you meant that oh you the best and we're gonna see you on thursday i forgot what day it was briefly but we're good before we say bye is it on ifc i don't know i gave up i can't find it but also ifc fun fact ifc's website not easy to navigate so (laughs) great (laughs) uh it might be on hbo i don't know um check your your local place if you haven't seen your local listings check your local listings okay bye bye Okay. <laughs>